Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Salutations, Mets fans. Welcome to episode 105 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Chris McShane. Chris, last week on Mets Twitter, I mean, I should say last week, Mets Twitter is always a kerfluffle, but the specific kerfluffle from last week's Mets Twitter kerfluffle was the Mets apparently are no longer sending out fan packs to young children. So if you had to reinstitute this tradition and create a new Mets fan pack for today's youth, what would you put in it? I think I would really uh, put an emphasis on on the hair. Not actual hair, but something. Henry Mejia, Jacob deGrom. I'd, I'd start with that. Uh, there would definitely be something in there for Mr. Mets. Perhaps a personalized greeting card from Mr. Met, since he, that could really be signed by you know anyone. I think uh, I think Mr. Met has to be in there somewhere though. 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, a given. Absolutely. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe you have one free ticket to a game. That doesn't seem like that would be that hard to do. No, that seems you have something in like the promenade section. Yeah. Now I under, I understand them not doing this at all. But if I were to do it, those, those would be the things I think I might throw in there. You might as well. And if nothing else, you know, you might be sending it to some kid in California or Taiwan or Sweden. That's our global brand, as this podcast has demonstrated. Um, but yeah, just make it like a nice ticket. So like no one else like. That's one of the things I miss. I, when I go to games, I'm almost always going on StubHub and getting like the print out your own tickets. But I like sort of having the if you make them nice, it'd be like a cool thing. It doesn't have to be a real ticket. It could be like a fake ticket. I mean, it should be a real ticket, but you know, it's just like a voucher. Make it like a nice voucher. Yeah. No. On the, the occasions that I have gotten the physical tickets from the Mets over the last few years. They've done a pretty good job with them. You know, some years have been better than others in terms of the design. But whether it's former players or current players or the Apple, Mr. Met, you know, City Field, Shea Stadium, any anything like that, something along those lines would be good. Um, as a guy who still keeps score, it, it, it would not be the smallest thing. And it would be a little counterproductive if the kid were coming to the games and you're trying to sell programs. But, I don't know, some some kind of scorecard. Uh, you know, the kid right now might not be quite as attached to Keith Hernandez as even people our age are or those who are older and, you know, have a better memory of, of when he played for the Mets than I do. Um but you know, if they're if they're interested, if they're watching games, Keith's scorecard certainly comes up a lot. So uh, I might capitalize on that a little bit. I'm not sure exactly how. If you want to make it easier, all better than what I came up with. So we're just going to talk about yours, I think, for this segment. Um, <laughs> I would even go so far as maybe like a small like Mets or even Mister Met branded like score book, right. like, like a simple one. Like, I know you can get a lot of like crazy advanced ones out there on the internet now. I have to order my crazy advanced one on the internet for this year. Like even like a fairly simple one. Cause again, your target audience is is six year olds, not their parents that are trying to mooch things off teams. Uh, but that, that's a good way to sort of get them more involved in the game, learning the sort of the rules of baseball, or sort of getting them more as uh, sort of like active watchers. I like that. See, I basically came with a bunch of Mr. Met stickers to put on their trapper keepers. I don't know anything about children. <laughs> These are all much better. I did have a joke about the. Uh, one of my favorite, I want sort of in the, my current rotation of baseball T-shirts. One of my favorites. I have a a sad Mr. Met rain delay T-shirt. I think I actually wore it to our live podcast last summer. But sort of the sad '70s Mr. Met rain delay on like a flask, since you know it's the adult asking for this thing anyway. Yes. I should just get I that made up it. for my own like a hip flask. Now that I think about it, because you can get like. I assume if you can get, like, monogrammed hip flasks, it's not that not much further to, like, emboss a little sad Mr. Met with an umbrella. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And if you, not that you could do it nowadays, but, you know, I feel like sneaking into City Field with a flask of bourbon is never a bad idea. <laughs> to bust out, perhaps, during rain delays. So this is episode 105 of Mason Avenue Audio. It's our spring training preview, as you might have guessed. We have our veteran 
spring training correspondent Chris McShane on once again. Yes, uh, one of these years I'm going to catch up to Rob in number of spring trainings. So we'll talk about Mets spring training, which is underway. I'm sure I made this exact same comment last year during our spring training preview, and possibly two years ago too. But every year we get excited for spring and the spring training, pitchers and catchers, full workouts and the like. And then it's like, yeah, nothing's. I mean, there's not even spring training games for another what week? Middle of next week they start up. Yes. Um, and even then, those are those are cool for like three days. Well, I'm going to be there for the you know I guess some of the slightly less cool ones, but I'll deal. I'm I'm there for the for for a little bit of everything. Like while the spring training game is going on, I'm if a pitcher I'm not interested in isn't pitching, I'd rather be roaming the minor league fields. Um, you know, but that that's and it's good. We're definitely thankful that the Mets allow that to happen for us. Because uh, if it was just the games themselves, it, it might get a little old. And there are a few pitchers that we're not particularly interested in. Some of them we may discuss in the bullpen preview later in the show. We are kicking off our position-by-position position previews. And we're starting with the bullpen because Chris wanted to talk about the bullpen. Don't send me emails. So we're doing that first. <laughs> Which is fine because it's normally the kind of thing where you would... It's part of like a spring training preview. Or the bullpen is usually the most fluid area, the area you would expect to see players competing for spots, but like the rest of the Mets' 25-man roster, doesn't look too likely. But as far as the agenda goes, we'll talk a little bit about the spring training storylines that we've seen so far in 2015, none of which are particularly interesting, as they so often are not. I will reiterate the podcast policy, as I am doing right now, in fact, of not talking about anything Terry Collins says in press conferences until he's talking about things that he did in Major League Baseball games that count in the standings. So, you know, not really going to talk about what crazy stuff has he said lately. Actually, we are talking about the shortstop situation. So I guess only like Ruben Tejada's competing for a job counts, and we will talk about that. So right. I think the same well, thing happened good. last year. I wasn't going to talk about Henry Mejia being the fifth starter. And then we talked about Henry Mejia, or Henry Mejia not being the fifth starter. And then we talked about Henry Mejia not being the fifth starter. But there's not much to talk about because it's just a bunch of, you know, videos of pictures on 10 packs and photos of Henry Mejia's hair. Which brings us to our first topic. What has been your favorite, such as it is, spring training storyline so far in Mets camp? Hmm. My favorite spring training storyline so far in Mets camp. I, I don't know how much of a storyline it is because of the way that it'll ultimately play out, but Dylan G moving to the bullpen, and I'll, I'll just say it on the podcast because it might make me force myself to finish the damn piece, uh, but I've been thinking about whether or not he would be the best of the starting pitchers to make the move and you know, kind of just trying to look at whether or not you know it this is just speculation or, or, or an idea, but whether or not Bartolo Colon would be a better relief pitcher, whether 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 Nice would be a better relief pitcher, you know, kind of in isolation, which which one of them would be most likely to excel in that role? Now, 
as you've pointed out in tweets and uh you know in recent days or weeks an oblique injury will probably resolve all of this and Dylan they've already started Lucas Duda has one intercostal strain technically yes but I it's I don't know it's kind of interesting to me I don't expect you know Wade Davis to come out of this with G or if it somehow wound up being somebody else who made that move but I don't know there's just something interesting to me about a guy who's performed in a certain role now for a while making a change to a different one and seeing how that goes uh you know i there's also an aspect of it where i kind of feel like everybody says oh dylan g's going to be the long guy because he's been a starting pitcher but one of the things that i've looked at a little bit with him um and i don't know that times through the order is necessarily indicative of relief success but it's not like he gets better even the second time through you know so maybe his ideal role in the bullpen is pitching one inning at a time or one and a third or, or maybe two tops but something where he's only seeing guys once you know not kind of a, an extended piece so yeah that that's me I, I think either last year or two years ago I was high on Dylan G going into the season I don't know if that exactly panned out but for some reason, I'm still uh, attached to, to his story. So, I think it was either last spring or maybe the spring before, and there was some crazy scout quote that Adam Moon reported talking about Dylan G being like a number three starter or something. Um, you took this more seriously than I did and actually covered a lot of things. We'll be covering in the bullpen preview later in the show where we will talk about Dylan G because it looks like he is ticketed for the bullpen. Um, I will say, sort of to your point, whether he's the best candidate of the starters to go to the bullpen he is because he's the worst starter of the starters <laughs> yeah, that, that's a valid point my favorite storylines very simple uh two of them henry mejia's hair gabby Noah's high socks i will try to get photos of the high socks i will get you a photo of gabby you pitching that would hair. also be better than what <laughs> you came back with from uh last year uh, he'll be yeah. pitching in games. He's on the 40-man. I'm, I'm sure he'll make a start somewhere in one of those early spring training games before he heads over to minor league camp. So. Or at least some sort of multi-inning appearance. And I will be on the lookout for it. One of the Mets beats posted some vine of his, his two-seamer that looked pretty nice. So, But not as nice as the high socks. you got to like the high socks. I mean, his hair is just completely out of control. Yeah, it really it's just is. breaking. It's like full, like, at some point this summer, it's just going to go like Little Shop of Horrors on the entire team, I think. <laughs> if I was more, if I was still in one of the two semesters I spent as a theater major at Hampshire, I would write like a short excerpt from that play. And it would be terrible and pretentious. Because I was like 19. But that said, that hair is... I mean, they, he can't even wear a hat at this point. It just, it completely, like, doesn't work anymore. Because there's just, the hair is so great. Like, yeah. last year there was, there was still, it was still short enough that he could kind of have the hat sort of sit on top, and it wasn't like, but now it just, there's nothing you can do. Like, I don't even know what to, uh, what to make of it. Also, photos of just Bartolo Colon being jolly, I've missed those, too. Yeah, I think that uh, that's one of my favorite spring training memories from last year. It was, a, it was a early morning. He was the only guy out there, and he's just having a grand old time. So 
we're going into a spring where the I could feel fairly confident, certainly more than usual, that I can name every single, again, barring a rash of intercostal strains we've already seen the first of with Lucas Duda, name you every person that's going to be on the Mets opening day 25-man roster. So no real fun spring training battles to talk about, but a few bits of news and notes in the last offseason, or sorry, the 2014 offseason, I guess last offseason is now last offseason. We just sort of like a slow Newsweek segment. So we'll do that, and we'll cover a few odds and ends that have come out of camp over the first week or so. And we'll start with sort of the much ado about Matt Harvey. Terry Collins has indicated he's not going to be skipped. He's not going to be held out for the home opener. He's going to take his turn somewhere in normal time, and they're going to treat him fairly Normally after that, they're not going to skip starts. They're not going to start him late. I'm sure they're going to manage him slightly differently. Sandy Alderson said there was no innings cap. He expects him to throw over 200 innings, including the playoffs. Make light of that as you will. But how do we feel about Matt Harvey basically just being treated like a normal starting pitcher, more or less? I hope so. You know, I'm... I don't totally buy that. I, you know, I think there's going to be some management. I don't know. I think if you're Matt Harvey, it might be easier to swallow uh, taking that extra day or two, you know, of rest or, or just skipping a turn altogether with the idea that you're just trying to extend how deep you can go into the season as opposed to being in a game. I, I feel like that's for any pitcher, once you're in that game, if you're looking to give a guy an early hook, uh, that that might be the most um, the most likely thing you could do to piss him off. Uh, I and and you know all of these guys are extremely competitive. They wouldn't be playing a sport at this level if they weren't. You know, so I think sometimes that gets drummed up a little bit more for certain guys just because they're good, but. You know, starting pitchers don't really like to be taken out of games, especially if things are going well. So, I don't know. If I'm them and I am trying to manage his innings and I, I just don't want to put a number out there so it doesn't get talked about all year, which I understand. Yeah, I think that's a, a good plan after we saw what happened with Steven Strasburg. Yeah. Strasburg's innings, even even 90 wins last year, you know, I, I get it. Um, I get really trying not to have something floated that you're going to have to talk about all season so yeah i I don't buy that he's just going to take his turn every fifth spot of the rotation and and pitch as deep as he can uh into every one of those games but you know it, it sounds like they're at least aware and this is something that you've brought up several times uh that he's so far removed from the surgery because of the timing of when it happened so I'm of two minds of this. I think you make a good point about sort of how you manage his competitiveness in games. But for me, I say this a lot on the show, pitchers are creatures of routine. I'd rather, you know, you don't always have to pull him at five innings and 75 pitches. You know, maybe if he's six and 90 and you're up big, you, you dial him back here and there. I think that's a little better than skipping. You know, maybe you give him a little extra time around the All-Star break. 
you know, skip him right there, give him a little longer rest. I just, you know, give him an extra day when you can. But I just don't like skipping starts during the season, you know, having him throw a bullpen. It's just not the same. I think manage him like a normal pitcher that's maybe you're just not it, it's something that I think this field staff has struggled with you know when he's at 6 and 105 you just can't have him go up there for the 7th you can't have him start the 7th inning you know stuff like that just keep an eye on him you've got to be able to evaluate him in game which they have not you know when he's starting to lose his stuff you've got to have a quicker hook with him and that's something your manager has to have um, the cachet in the locker room to do it he has to have the backing of the front office to do it and I don't know if Collins is that guy. Because some other things we'll get to in a second, and just sort of weird disconnects between what, again, I think to a certain extent we as outsiders project onto what we think a Sandy Alderson front office is and wants. But, you know, he's he Collins was not afraid when Hardy was healthy to throw him 120 even when his stuff was losing. It's starting to dip down. Same with the Grom and Wheeler last year. And I'm, again, not against strict pitch counts. I think these guys can go 110, 120 pitches. I wouldn't suggest it every start. But at times, yes, absolutely. But 110 pitches in 7-plus is different than 110 pitches in 5-plus. And I don't think... I think any sort of strict you know, lines in the sand, whether it's pitch count, innings count, is unnecessary, overly cautious, um, not even accomplishing what it's really setting out to do. But yeah, yeah, for, that, that, it just let him that. pitch. It's 18 months away from Tommy Johnson. If he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. Don't be stupid about it, to put it, I guess, maybe more bluntly than it needs to be put. But if you want him to throw 180 to 200 innings over, you know, if you push him back around the all-star break, let's say 30 starts, you want him to average six innings a start, maybe a little more, just keep an eye on it. Yeah. That's all it's not, is trust your field staff. If you don't trust your field staff to manage him in-game and in-season, they should not be your field staff. Because the success, we've said many times on the show, success of this team is directly tied to young pitching and will be for the foreseeable future. If you don't trust, you know, Worth and Collins, etc., to manage that young pitching, they should have been out the door by now. You can't yeah. try to manage that from, and I don't think Alderson's trying to do it, you can't try to manage that from the uh, GM's chair. And I think one of the things uh, that he said recently, and I remember him saying it even, I forget how many years ago it was, it was one, two, or three, uh, when Baseball Prospectus had an event at City Field, and, and he spoke to it as well there. But the lack of certainty within baseball about injury recovery and time, you know, timelines and workloads and all that and I mean it's something he's brought up recently and I, I think you know like you said if, if you're going to get hurt you're going to get hurt I still don't think Johan Santana got hurt again uh, just because he threw so many pitches in that no hitter I think 
he was eventually going to get hurt from pitching again. And even taking it back to Harvey, if you thought one of those young pitchers was going to get hurt in 2014, missed an entire season, would you have bet on, you know, Stephen Matz with a long injury track record, Jacob deGrom, who has a Tommy John surgery in his past, uh, Zach Wheeler, who doesn't have Harvey's sort of drop-and-drive mechanics and is a little bit uh, more slender. You know, no one, everyone talked about Matt Harvey's power pitching mechanics and then his elbow exploded because, as Toby Hyde always says, pitchers break. It's what they do. And if he's going to break again, he's going to break again. But I don't think, I think they're going about it more or less the right way, assuming Collins and Worthen are able to manage that in season. So our next little fun bit of spring training storyline is that apparently Ruben Tejada is competing for a shortstop job again. <laughs> this is a thing that's happening. Um, so I will say this about the situation. I don't have to tell you, Chris, or you, the listeners, how I feel about Wilmer Flores playing shortstop. However, right. if you're not going to commit to Wilmer Flores as your everyday shortstop in 2015, A, your offseason probably should have looked a little different than it did. And B, Ruben Tejada should not be the only person in that competition. Now, all I hear from Colin over the last, and I love these, I always post these tweets, quotes to our our internal message works. I always love them. But uh, uh, Matt Reynolds is a baseball player, apparently. That's all yes. Terry Collins has heard, is that Matt Reynolds is a baseball player. Every scouting report says Matt Reynolds is a baseball player, which I could have told you because they're all baseball scouting reports. But, uh, and, and I will I'll translate. Uh, baseball player means, like, he's like a role 40 to 45 player, which is what Matt Reynolds is. That's the only time you apply the word baseball player to a player, when he's sort of a little bit fringy. But I like Matt Reynolds, and... You can make an argument that he's should at least be in the conversation if you're considering Ruben Tejada, and that and if you're going to do, consider those two, why not Delson Herrera, who's they shouldn't play shortstop, but we just keep lowering the bar here, like <laughs> at some point. And this is yes, maybe it's just Terry Collins trying to keep Ruben Tejada motivated, but based on his behavior in actual games, which happened in 2014. He doesn't seem particularly sold on Wilmer Flores as their everyday shortstop. So I wonder if that's a point, sort of this disconnect I talked about between the front office and the field staff. Now it's entirely possible that Ruben Tejada's, or sorry, that Wilmer Flores is hitting 240, 280, 360 on May 15th, and we all go into panic mode. And Ruben Tejada or Matt Reynolds is your starting shortstop. But if you weren't going to go out and get a shortstop because, or weren't able to go out and get a shortstop, despite what you, uh, despite as much or as little as free time Sandy Alderson might have had in the offseason, you know, might as well open up the competition. I, you know, maybe a couple months ago we talked about maybe bringing in Everett Cabrera. You know, if you're not sold on Wilmer Flores and you don't have the the money or the prospects to go out and get a decent upgrade, open up the competition. 
Yeah. What is the latest with Everett Cabrera? He signed with somebody. Oh, he did? Yeah, for a couple million. It was a major league deal, I think. Oh, I missed that. Yeah, I saw it come. I Because I do things like pay attention to Everett Cabrera news. I don't know why. I cannot remember offhand who it was, but... Orioles. Orioles, there you go. The Orioles it is. I mean, look, Matt Reynolds is not really a major league shortstop. He's going to be stretched there. Can he play there once a week with that sort of utility profile that I project him for? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, I will say, I, I believe that the organization is higher on his defense than I am. So that certainly counts for something in, in terms of whether he's in the mix or not. But it's a, you know, it's a Tejada-ish profile. If you think he can sort of be Tejada-ish at shortstop, you know, minus five defender there or so, you know, fringe average, um, and hit a little bit and take some walks. And he's got some doubles power, probably a little bit more than Tejada, though he's not really a power hitter. You know, that is a, is a second borderline second division starter, sort of a guy to get you through to whatever your next plan after Todd and Flores is for a few months. Yeah, I guess. I don't think he should be on the table because I don't think Tejada should be on the table. I think you've got to, at some point, run Flores out there and see what you have. And we'll wrap up with a story that is only a story to people that really need to write about stuff this time of year and have nothing to really write about because, as we said, nothing's going on. Uh, the Mets have not allowed Kevin Long to talk to the media, apparently. Yeah, not not yet, according to uh, what, the Post or, or no? Daily News? I forget. Yeah, nobody seems to be particularly happy about it. Yeah, I just it's 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 like a it's like a media story. It's like a you've made our job slightly harder kind of thing because we can't just keep you know running about pitcher fielding practice and how everyone's shoulder feels good because it's February twenty uh, fifth. Everybody's shoulder feels good at February twenty fifth because they haven't used it over and over again throwing baseballs. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I just, I don't, it's, it's, it's the hitting coach. I mean, I guess he's a, a celebrity hitting coach. Are those really, like, whenever I hear that, I just think back to, like, Omar's constant dalliances to try to get, was it Rudy Jarmillo away from Texas? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Yeah, that. it's a thing that happened. I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't know. If this had been like Dave Magadan, who no, yeah, I don't know. May I mean, it's certainly a well-respected hitting coach. You know, as opposed to Kevin Long, who was just with the Yankees. I don't think this would be as much of a story, but because it's a it's a New York guy that these writers probably have some sort of relationship with already, it does. I guess it makes it more difficult for them. But I don't care because apparently he's already fixed uh, Brandon Nimmo's swing, so he'll hit for power now. As far as that, you know, the conversations about hitting coach goes. That's all I really care about. 
so as we mentioned, Chris is headed down to spring training. So Chris, why don't you give us a preview of what you're going to be uh, what you're going to be doing while you're down there this year? Besides uh, having some beers at Duffy's. And vine and barley. Yeah. Duffy's Duffy's will be part of the equation. Although oh, that's the wine bar or whatever. Well, it's the craft beer and craft beer and wine. Yeah. Yes. Yes, vine and barley. Yes, uh, yes, yes. I gather. But uh, I thought that was fairly far away from the actual like site. No, I mean nothing's really that far in in that part of Port St. Lucie. Um, I mean all the hotels. I I don't think just based on walking around, not as many people walk from the hotel to Duffy's to Vine and Barley as, as perhaps I do. <laughs> but you know they're the longest traffic lights in the world that you have to wait for to get a walk signal. But it's possible. Uh, but yeah, no, it's all it's all fairly close. Most of the hotels are kind of clustered, so there's the, the Holiday Inn is right by Duffy's. So if you were staying there, you know, Vine and Barley might seem like it's far away, but it's probably only a five or six minute walk. Um, but, but yeah, aside from all of that, I remember uh, the best beer at Duffy's last year, before I get into non-beer stuff, was probably the one where uh, Jerry's Familia was just having a beer next to us and you know at, the, at that point I mean I'm not sure how Bob too would be if you were doing exactly that this year right but at that point he was less known uh, even than he is now so it's not what like did, nobody... what does Jay yours familiar drink for beer oh, I wish I remembered see this is the kind of stuff you should really far more interesting to me than anything else you'll cover at spring training so yeah yeah no no it's um I'll keep an eye out this year but you know it it was it, it was an interesting moment I know Vic Black supposedly is hanging out there and playing Xbox with people on, and everything online I totally He's, believe that Vic Black does that he seems like the uh... <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, you know I, we'll see who we run into there there's no bowling night this year so that was always interesting to observe because I am obviously a Mets fan but in the capacity of being down there and and having, uh, you know, credential access from the Mets at bowling night, I'm still not wearing Mets gear or asking for autographs or anything like that. Um, so it's always an interesting spectacle to kind of just sit back and watch. Uh, but but now it won't exist anymore. I'm a little disappointed because I heard Corey Mazzoni apparently threw a 299 game at one point. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, mean, I know I, Tim Burdak a couple of years ago had some ridiculous game too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've in my experience, and it's not that long. I've only been to that event twice. It was never out of control, but I've seen other people say that it got to be last year with just too many Mets fans. But yeah, got, I could see that. I've gotten a little off track. I feel uh, like I mean, again, you don't, probably don't have the. Sort of the length of experience down there, but I just feel like more people are going to spring training than have in the past in general. Yeah, I mean the winters probably aren't hurting in terms of the number of people who are willing to hop on a flight. It's not that expensive to fly down there. Um, the hotels this year, I mean, when I I booked reasonably early, and it you know it's a standard decent hotel but nothing special and it went up like 30 or 35 bucks per night um since last year so that's 
you know, I'm going a week later in the process than usual, but that's still, it's still quite a hike. So I don't know. Maybe there is just more demand for these, for everything. But in terms of my game plan, aside from all, all that, uh, all the stuff. drinking of beers. Yes, the beers and the burritos. I mean, uh, I I don't want to certainly cast aspersions. I've already planned my first trip this year is in New Hampshire, and I've already planned uh, what restaurants and bars I'm going to go to. Not that my options are particularly uh, extensive. There's a few nice places there, so I always check those off the list early. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it, you know, similar stuff to the last couple of years. Should have an opportunity to, uh, to chat with Paul De Podesta again. Um, you know, TJ Barra as well, who's, you know, still very much involved. Um, uh, I know he, he probably got his biggest press hit out of that I'm aware of, uh, the story the Times had done about, you know, moving the fences and what the, analytics folks in the front office were doing uh, to support that move. Um, so, you know, that that's obviously been covered, but hopefully I'll get to chat with him a little. Uh, and they're just hoping to talk to minor league players a little bit more. You know, uh, big league players, one, uh, getting them is more difficult uh, in terms of access. And two, many of them are pretty pretty well rehearsed and kind of boring to talk to um you know that doesn't mean they're boring people but they might not really say very much um so yeah photos even more heavily focused on the minor league side and uh you know one thing that i feel like i i want to focus a little more on is is the guys who are the most intriguing guys to watch pitch to really, really just zone in on what they're doing. And that might require putting the camera down for a few seconds. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't expect to do any major video production like Rob used to do. So if that used to be your favorite thing about the old Mason Avenue, I'm sorry. That's what Adam Rubin Studios are for. Yes. Yes. He's... Uh, I'd like to think uh, he's he's been influenced a little bit by blogs. <laughs> uh, careful now. Oh, we'll be fine. I mean, I really mean Mets blog. To be fair, they've been doing spring training photos, you know, like crazy for almost a decade. So we'll switch gears now and actually start previewing the 2015 Mets, and we'll start with the bullpen. And... Uh, <laughs> I re-listened to the, our last year's spring training preview, which was only 59 minutes. I don't think we're going to get it uh, under that this year. But just really to see if I said anything funny. And the one funny thing I said, because we talked a little bit about the bullpen on the spring training preview last year, though I guess it wasn't the official bullpen preview. I said, uh, you know, whoever we would mention in a bullpen preview will probably throw innings for the 2015 Mets regardless. And I name-checked Ryan Reed, Joel Carreño, Jack Leathersitch, and Jeff Walters. Between the four of them, threw a grand total of zero innings for the 2014 <laughs> Mets. I thought Carreño would throw a little. I thought he actually looked halfway decent in spring training. I don't know if the numbers back that up, but anyways. Walters, of course, got hurt, and Jack Leathersitch couldn't throw strikes. Actually, funny, funny side note from my MLB Network appearance 
yes. last week. Um, they gave me a list of guys they might, like Mets prospects, they might ask about. And you know, it's, it's, who you'd expect: Noah Syndergaard, um, Matt Conforto, Plowacki, Nimmo, and then Jack Leatherwood was on the list too. He was the sixth. And I'm actually sad they didn't ask about him because I had prepared a Gabriel, you know, a name check for that response. Ah. But they didn't ask about him, and there was no... I couldn't uh, audible, just fit him in somewhere else, unfortunately. But we can't start talking about the 2015 Mets bullpen without talking about someone who will not be on the... or not be in the opening day 2015 bullpen, and that's Bobby Parnell. So all along, Bobby Parnell, unlike Matt Harvey, is only a well, about a year, not even now, but on opening day will be about a year removed from Tommy John surgery himself. And sort of what will his role be in this bullpen when he comes back? Before the last week or so, Terry Collins was fairly insistent that when Parnell comes back, he will close. He's walked that back a little bit. Sort of only if, now only if no one else has sort of taken the job by the throat um, so what would you do, Chris, with Bobby Parnell when he comes back on um, April 20th, which I think is a rush, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, when he's back and healthy and on the Mets, what is Bobby Parnell's role? Hmm. Well, you know, I think he... I think before he got hurt, he was definitely the team's best relief pitcher. You know, if he's close to that which is always a little bit questionable when a guy first comes back, especially since his recovery time will have been shorter than Matt Harvey's. Uh, you know, will he be the best one out of this bunch of relief pitchers? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I'm, I would absolutely bet on him being a better relief pitcher this year than, uh, than Vic Black. I, I don't think that's unreasonable. So... I, sort I, of I the... guess I would, I would ease him. I'd ease him in. You know, start to get major league hitters out, and then if it becomes apparent that you are still the best relief pitcher on this team, then at some point we'll, you know, change things over, and and you'll kind of graduate sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth innings. Um, you know, and the the added upside of pushing Farnell to the the closers gig is preventing the other guys from getting saves and making more money. So there is that, and we will get to that. But setting aside whether Parnell really should be back that early, um, or even will be effective coming back just a year from surgery. And I know it is a little different from relievers and starters. With starters, it's, there's a lot of building up uh, stamina that has to be considered. Um, you know, fastball command's often the last thing to come back from starters, which isn't... I don't want to say it's less important for relievers, but, you know, sort of the traditional relief power reliever profile, fastball command may not be as important going through, you know, facing three, four, or five batters than it is going through a lineup multiple times. But there are different considerations. He's going to have to pitch on, be able to pitch on back-to-back days, you know, four times in a week. That's a different kind of stamina. He's going to be able to get up and get down, and he's still, again, only a year removed from fairly major 
elbow surgery, even though we consider it to be a bit perfunctory at this point. But let's set aside all that. Consider that he comes back in close to what he was 2011 to 2013. I still don't think he's the best reliever on the team. Um, he's never posted a single-season strikeout percentage higher than Mejia's last year as a reliever. Uh, you know, he's got an above-average strikeout percentage, but it's not mind-blowing. We're not talking about, you know, Craig Kimbrell, or Roldis Chapman, uh, Kenley Jansen kind of numbers here. Right, yeah, his, I mean, as he got better, it was more about reducing walks. The strikeouts never got that crazy for him. Yeah, 2012 was his first sort of really good season, and he got there by cutting his walk percentage, getting more ground balls, and he was very good in 2012. He was even better in 2013, but the walk percentage went back down, and a lot of that was just a fluky, you know, home run for a fly ball rate. He got fewer ground balls in 2013, but gave up much fewer home runs. He had a .18 home run per nine with a basically an average ground ball rate. Now, and I don't want to quote XFIP because XFIP's not necessarily instructive, but there was no difference in his XFIP between 2012 and 2013. Now, was there some major change he made? I mean, the change to me looks like it was more between 2011 and 2012 when he first got the ground ball spike um, and cut his walk percentage. You know, he took a little off the fastball started throwing more two-seamers through the curve instead of the slider. You know, that was sort of the big sort of like repertoire arsenal change. Um, so I just keep going back to that 2013 you know, sort of fluky home run rate is sort, of, is sort of your argument here with him over Mejia. Look, he's a good late-inning reliever. You know, he can absolutely... And he might end up there... You know, Mejia might slide backwards this year. But I think if you're going to just look on resume whether it's stuff or even performance in the bullpen specifically. I think Mejia's the guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 reasonable. I was just trying to remember what year, and it was not 2011, but <laughs> I was trying to remember what year the Mets experimented with Parnell as a starter late in the year and destroyed I think 2009 his... when everyone was hurt. Yes. Yeah, that was it. And destroyed his season-long stats in, in eight starts. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, we're not that far removed from him having, like, sort of, like, hard hit ball issues or bad hip issues, if you want to call them, too. So I still don't know if we know exactly what Bobby Parnell is. But you did, I think, uh, hit on one of the key points that I think the Mets would consider as a reason to put him at starter, uh, at, at closer, if he is, again, back, healthy, and pitching even to those you know, 2012 and 2013 levels, it's that, yes, you know, Henry Mejia is going to be around. Bobby Parnell is not uh, after this season in all likelihood. You know, Parnell is you know, already 30 as it is, and he's going to be a, a free agent after this season. So, using him this year to mop up saves to keep Mejia's Arbor Ward down as a Super 2 Arb 3 that he'll be next year. Or is that right? Or is he, you know, he's, he's Super 2 Arb 2 next year. Yeah, that's 
something. I'm not saying it's just going to be a team of the Mets. Like the Mets, it has serious financial issues. That's sort of the sabermetric orthodoxy at this point. You know. Right. You know, and that's I what your Fangraphs said. GMs would suggest every team do. Really, you take a veteran, you know, especially someone like I'm pronouncing a one-year deal, and just have him mop up saves if he's of comparable or even a little bit, you know, worse quality than your best reliever. It's like having David Robertson get saves instead of uh, Dylan Batances. So that stuff doesn't add up in ARB. And it doesn't make that much of a difference in terms of winning games either. It's, it's not no, it really shouldn't because, you know, it, it's... There can be plenty of times where your eighth inning is a higher leverage situation based on who's up, coming up in the ninth inning. You know, your, your seventh and eighth inning guys, you're more likely to bring in... Uh, you're more willing to bring in generally with guys on base already in close games where you might not do that with your closer in the eighth. I think more teams should. The Mets should with Mejia. I think Mejia can go multiple innings. I've said this ad nauseum on the podcast for all of 2014. But they don't generally do that. So the leverage in the ninth isn't necessarily going to be that much higher than it is in the eighth. Though generally it will be just because each out is more valuable because there's fewer of them you need to get. Yeah. I will I also do. say uh, some people are going to point out to me that Mejia was a little more wild uh, last year than Parnell was. And I will say that is fair, but I'm going to make reference to a, a Mike Podhoser piece on Rotographs recently where he looked at sort of like expected walk rate and expected K rate. And I don't know how meaningful this is. I don't know what like the, the R-squared value is or anything on this kind of stuff. We just sort of looked at you know strike percentage... You know, people that uh, pitchers that underperformed or overperformed their walk and K rates, you know, based on how many strikes they threw. And Mejia actually, you would expect his walk rate to go to be lower than it was, and his strikeout rate to be higher than it was, based on his swinging strike and strike percentage in general. Now, is that predictive? I don't know, but I will say Mejia has had you know pretty good control throughout his professional career up until well, when he's been healthy up until this year. So maybe that's something that improves going forward as well. But I just think it, I think that maybe adds to the argument that he's the best reliever on this team. I think he's the best reliever on this team, and he should be used in the highest leverage situations. Whether that's as close, and I don't trust, you know, Collins and Worthman to necessarily be aggressive in that way with him because they haven't in the past. So just make him the closer. I do hope that if he is bumped to an earlier inning, that he still finishes the successful innings with the stomp. Uh, see, I think that gets see that's like that's the kind of thing you can only get away with in with the media as a closer. I think. Well, that that's why like, you re- can't do it in why, the eighth. The reason why I want him to still do it was is because it, of the kerfluff little cause. Yeah, oh yes, yes, exactly. Fair enough. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> so we jumped the line a little bit with uh, talking about Dylan G at the outset. But we should get into it a little bit with the uh, in the actual bullpen preview. That seems like where G will be starting 2015. I'm uh, re-invoking my Ike Davis rule from last year's spring training preview, where I will not talk about a potential Dylan G trade 
until I won't talk about Dylan G uh, Dylan G trade situation in spring training until he's either traded the Mets announced he is traded or he is pitching major league games to the 2015 Mets. I do think he will eventually be traded. I think you might see it play out a lot like Ike Davis last year. But we are going to go forward on the show as if he is uh, going to be a member of the 2015 bullpen, which it looks like he will be. Um, primarily because he is the sixth best starter on the team is currently comprised. Now it's possible somebody gets hurt in spring, certainly. Um, has to miss a start or you're on the DL or something more catastrophic happens, but well, he may be the sixth best starter on the team. Are we sure he's the seventh best reliever? Yeah, yeah, maybe not. I, you know. So you touched on sort of the one inning versus multi inning thing. My concern would traditionally, you know, the starter to reliever conversion. You expect him, and this doesn't always happen. This is, again, pitchers as a class. When you move them from starter to reliever, you expect them to get, you know, maybe a tick or two more on the fastball. So that would get, you know, Dylan G into the low 90s. Um, he's used his changeup historically as his primary secondary offering. So he'd be a fastball changeup reliever that sat in the low 90s. That's, you know, I, I, he's better than this pitcher. So don't write me angry emails. That's kind of, you know, Gonzalez Herman-ish. Now, the reason G's a starter and Herman isn't, obviously, is because G has two functional breaking balls. Two major league, if not major league average of major league quality breaking balls he can mix. And he mixes his pitches and he hits his spots. And, you know, he mixes his pitches. He's never thrown more than 60% fastballs in a season, actually. Last year, he threw the most fastballs in his, the highest fastball percentage of his career, which was just a tick under 50. Uh, in 2013, which was his probably his best season, he threw 53.8% fastballs, which is low-ish for Major League starters. Uh, you know, it's there are some things you can't do out of the... And you can work backwards. You can try to mix four pitches in short bursts, but... I don't know how effective that's going to be. I don't see a, a breaking ball specifically that's going to play up in short outings. And the big concern with G is G's never pitched out of the bullpen in his professional career. Beyond even sort of the concerns about how fast he can get warmed up. And I know that's been... Uh, been mentioned in the media, you know, how fast can he actually get warmed up as a, as a long man or as a one-inning guy because of his injury history and his, and his shoulder issue. You know, can he pitch on back-to-back -back days? This is It's a lot of unknowns. So I, look, you can't send him down to the minors, but I think, that, you know, those kind of issues are the reason he gets traded sooner rather than later. I mean, you're writing about this. What do you sort of think is Dylan G as, as a reliever? Hmm. Well, the, just to, to touch back on something I already said earlier, but, you know, the fact that he's been so dramatically worse later in games, 
Uh, and that, you know, that touches on you saying that he, of the pitchers who are presumably in camp uh, and, and on the opening day roster, that he is the worst starting pitcher. Uh, that that's part of the reason why, but yeah, I you know I did like I said I don't expect Wade Davis out of this, but perhaps he can be you know more effective, maybe closer to to maybe Carlos Torres. That that might even be a little on the optimistic side, but you know something where you can roll him out there in the middle of a game. It's kind of a bridge between your starter and, and the other guys. Um, when you have a lead, I, I don't think he's going to be disastrous. Um, I mean, you never know. He, he could take very poorly to it. it. It might really not work out at all, but you look at stuff, and I'll just, let me pull up real quick his splits. I don't think he has significant ones or or at least drastic ones um i can't imagine they're worse than say jayers familias right for his career g it's riveting radio it is. Well, you're looking at this, uh, looking up. Uh, I, I, actually, no, he has bigger splits than I thought he did, so I, I take it back. Really, for a fast, for like a guy with whose best secondary is his changeup, that's interesting. Yeah. I was going to use that that brief pause because I forgot one of our spring training storyline topics, where it's like a, a, a foregone conclusion that Eric Campbell is going to make this team. Oh uh, yeah. Which yeah. makes me a little salty. <laughs> well, of course. Well, it's first of all, he displaces Josh Satin, who, by the way, in their respective quote-unquote good seasons, Josh Satin, higher isolated slugging, lower K percentage, higher walk percentage, and an actual split. Eric Campbell had no platoon split last year. And hit 263, 322, 358. And that dude's, like, guaranteed a spot on the Major League roster because he's learning how to catch. Yeah, that, that part I don't get. Like, and he's going to that... be 28 on opening day, basically. Right. But what does that do? What is the catch? He's not going to catch. At no point in time in this season is Eric Campbell going to catch. Right. You have, if anything, you might have, I mean, you could have Pulecki and, and Darno potentially on the roster at the same time with Anthony Riker out of a gig as a major league player. I mean, Eric know? Campbell catching, and maybe that gives him an excuse to use Riker as a pinch hitter at some point. Yeah, you can yeah. talk Terry Collins into having a the idea that he has a third catcher on the roster. This I, is like Josh Satin and Justin Turner learning the outfield. This is a story because it's February twenty fifth, right? But it actually has consequences since it will probably involve losing Cesar Pueyo, who is not twenty eight. But he can't catch. No, well, I'm, he's probably too tall. But then Campbell six three two oh five. That's a weird build for a catcher too. Then again, I guess back in the day, Carlos Delgado was the emergency catcher. Yeah, that's true. I was looking back, and I was I was thinking about this earlier as well. Um, to the last time the Mets carried three catchers, and what was it? The uh, Blanco Barajas Tolly was that the last time that they did that for? Wasn't Omir Santos the third catcher at one point? Hmm. 
That might have been before then? I don't even know. Yeah, I think it would have been. Alright. That's entirely possible. Of all the, the three catchers to carry, when you, if you wanted to carry three catchers. But back to the Mets bullpen. Uh, and we'll, we'll zoom out a little bit. Is this a good bullpen? I mean, assuming it's at least on opening day. Mejia, Familia, Torres, Black, G, Gilmartin, and Edgen. Is that a good bullpen? I think it could be. I think it's going. I think it's getting maybe a little bit too much praise. I mean, you have the obvious addition by subtraction. Farnsworth isn't there. Valverde isn't there. Uh, you know, Parnell. Well, this is addition by addition, but Parnell could be there for more than one game in which he pitched poorly. Uh, so you know, those those things. You transfer a certain amount of innings that were pitched by those two. Uh, and I was a Farnsworth defender early. It, not all of his innings were terrible. But combined, in the end, those two <laughs> were not good. I mean, he uh, was better than Valverde, if you want to yeah. damn with faint praise. Uh, yes, but you have, you have, you know, those innings are going not only to a, a, a the return of Parnell, but the other guys who all had you know, varying degrees of success last year. Uh, you know, th- I think the thing is to, we certainly can't guarantee that every one of the guys who pitched well last year will do it again this year. Um, you know, and I, I don't mean to pick on Vic Black, but I just don't. He's not the only one you can pick on here either. No, it's, I need to see more, or I need to see a, I need to see an improvement in walk rate. Steve Saipa, um, you know, wrote up the the season preview on the site uh, today, uh, and you know, talked about walk rate. And it's not like that was something that popped up for Black all of a sudden. I mean, that's always been the issue. His walk rate in Vegas was just insanely high uh, before he got promoted last year. And despite the walks at the major league level, he, he managed to you know keep the ERA down and and be generally effective. But but yeah, I think it I think it'll be a good bullpen. Uh, I'm not ready. You know, the trendy thing to say as a compliment about any bullpen is that you know is a comparison of it to the Royals. Yeah, we don't do that on this show, Chris. You, you, as a Mets fan, you will hear that I'm sure that oh, you know, they have like multiple first round pick starters in that bullpen right now. <laughs> right, right, but it's you know, I mean, and they don't have to be that good to be successful. I, I just think it's probably a good idea to keep expectations in check. You know, I, I, I'm a Mejia believer. I, I, you know, I'm actually fairly confident in Carlos Torres because I think we have a very good idea of what he is and he's been doing it for so long now the concern there is that he's been doing it so often but as if healthy I, you know I, I'm comfortable predicting Torres this year and I think he is pretty good um, but more comfortable predicting him than I am say Familia or Black or certainly Edgen 
Yeah, it's a high variance pen, and they just had a line again. You talk about reliever FIP and how predictive that is, because you expect guys with black and edge and familiar stuff to induce more weak contact and have lower batting average on balls in play. So, you know, for them, not all batted balls are going to be created equally. You know, familiar, especially throwing 96-mile-an-hour bowling balls. But, I mean, there's certainly an argument to be made that they were a little bit lucky last year overall on their their balls and play results. And Familia scares me a little bit because he's got a little bit of Braden Looper-itis. Where, I mean, lefties just brutalized him. And he has his own issues with not even control per se, though he does certainly walk a few more guys than you'd like. But, you know, when his control goes, it's not that he just walks guys. I mean, he misses his own by, like, feet. You know, he buries balls in the dirt. Um, and he's a guy that threw a lot of innings last year. Like, we talk about sort of uh, how many innings Torres threw, and Torres threw 97 innings of 73 appearances. Familia actually had more appearances. You know, he, had, he pitched in 76 games last year. I know he looks like a guy that should be able to do it. Big dude. But you know, that would worry me going forward as well. And again, these these sort of batting average on balls play, they're not egregious. You know, they're right around, all around 260 for Familia, Edgen, and Black. But it just, I don't know. This might be my normal skittishness and worrying about trying to predict the next 60 innings of any pitcher. You know, starter or reliever, but you're right. Does track record matter? Well, maybe not as much as we think, but I wish there was a longer one here. I don't think it'll be a disaster. Yeah, you know, I, I think this is a pretty good bullpen, even if one or even two guys really, uh, you know, bust, so to speak. Partially because Parnell would re- could replace one of them and partially because there are going to be arms in Vegas who you could call up who might be able to handle the uh, the role. Yeah, it's a good segue into our next topic, which is like who, again, <laughs> well, Ryan Reed, Joel Cranio, Jack Klesich, and Jeff Walters didn't pitch for the 2014 Mets. Other names, probably not any of those other than Leathersich, We'll pitch for the 2015 Mets, and some of those guys on the farm, you know, we've, you know, Rafael Montero, if, you know, Dylan G gets traded, might be in the opening day bullpen. Uh, you know, I've talked up Corey Mazzoni before on the podcast as a potential reliever. You know, guys like Cody Satterwhite, who was very good in AA last year, will be, you know, one phone call away in Vegas. So there is some depth there in power arms still. If uh, things do go a little bit pear-shaped or guys get hurt, there's another bullpen that has you know, a history of arm issues past, and in Car- Carlos Torres's case, probably future. Because this is a Mets podcast, we'll be talking about the bullpen throughout the season. And by talking, I mean whining. 
But for now, we will move on to your emails. And before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's the Mason Avenue Audio, episode 105. Mason Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at AmazonAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for the Stitcher. Uh, what am I doing? I'm making a hash of this. I'm trying to text my <laughs> wife I would pick up at the train station while doing housekeeping. It never works well. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. I've done this a hundred times. You can also find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post in Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter, at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Chris McShane. You can find him on Twitter at Chris McShane. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from Andy. Hi, Jeff and Rob slash Greg slash Steve slash question mark. So I guess you're question mark this week. I am. I was wondering if you could sign if you could sign one of the remaining free agents for the Mets. Which one would you choose? Also, what do you think of the wrestling extravaganza slated for City? Great podcast. Try to keep it under two hours this week. Andy. Uh, it will be under two hours. Already past 59 minutes it was last season, but yeah, we're just growing year over year is basically what's happening. We're in the podcast is in the best shape of its life, maybe. <laughs> All right. It's a very motley crew of remaining free agents, Chris, but who do you have? I have... Let's see. Well, I whittled it down. But if I have to just pick one... I am bringing in... Mike Adams, who's been hurt a lot over the last two years. He's been good when he has pitched. Probably won't get anything more than a minor league invite. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten a contract already. Yeah, minor, minor league contract with an invitation, I mean. Yeah. Um, and that's the sort of guy you can bring in and not have to risk losing anyone off the 40. And, you know, maybe you find something there. Uh, I think there's a couple other relief pitchers. I think Francisco Rodriguez is a better bet to be a good relief pitcher this year or at least throw more innings of pretty good uh, you know, relief, but, but yeah, there you go. My guy, Mike Adams. Totally cromulent choice. I went with the Cuban free agent. I know that's cheating. Yadier Alvarez. With the Mets who in touch, you know, the upper nineties, but the Mets won't sign. So my more realistic yet less realistic alternative is Johan Santana. Because why not? See Johan pitch again. If anything else, he can hang around spring training and try to teach Zach Wheeler the change up he taught Jacob DeGrom. Or Noah Syndergaard, teach them, whatever, teach them all. Just show them whatever the change up grip you showed Jacob DeGrom. Show it to guys. Though it does sound like he might be. It might be it for him, which is sad. Not unexpected, but sad. Yeah. 
As for the Legends of Wrestling show at City Field, if you haven't uh, heard about it, there's a Legends of Wrestling show headlined by uh, Ric Flair and Bill Goldberg, among others. This summer, look, I'm not going to lie, I'm probably going to go to this. If I can get credentialed for it, I will definitely do that, but I might just go to it anyway. I mean, you're talking to a guy who I think at this point has seen multiple Terry Funk retirement matches in his lifetime. And I think Terry Funk's still wrestling out there somewhere. Um, I So I don't... I, I have mixed feelings about these sort of things. I guess I appreciate it, but I feel like it's like seeing fat old Laurence Olivier try to play Hamlet. I wonder, since I have the WWE Network, I was watching a lot of the... Uh, Legends roundtable shows they they put together back when it was just like a 24-7 on-demand thing a few years ago before they launched the network officially. I feel like that would be like a more interesting thing to watch than them trying to wrestle at this point. But, yeah, it's live wrestling. That's always fun. And it's outdoors. And it's going to be... It's, it's a weird place to do it. I know the MCU's had some wrestling shows there in the past. I think a couple of the major indies, I think TNA had a show there and Ring of Honor had a show there last summer. Uh, so sort of sort of the the weirdness of it all. I'll definitely go. I imagine you'll be skipping this one, Chris. I uh, probably. I will say that I would actually recognize some of the wrestlers at this thing. So I should I should bother to pull up a uh, a whole list of who was actually uh, wrestling on this. I saw Goldberg. Flair, Rob Van Dam, who still, I would quibble with the term legend, and also, uh, Brett, and he's Brett. still fairly active at this point in time, certainly more so than, oh, Bret Hart, too, who I'm pretty sure can't wrestle. Um, Mets.com. Professional wrestling first came to place from the front, I'm just reading from the press release. Professional wrestling first came to Flushing with the 72, 76, and 80 showdowns at Shea. Those matches featured some of the generation's foremost wrestling icons, highlighted by the first WDF meeting of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. So yeah, man. I don't know. It just it would be it'll be cool when they come out, and then I'll probably be a little bit sad afterwards. Which is actually fairly close to the experience of watching an actual Mets game. So, <laughs> bit of keeping in the spirit. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I have not had a, um, I have not revisited wrestling. I think, I don't know if it's come up on the podcast before, but if it has, I It, it has many, it. many times. <laughs> no, well, my, my wrestling history? No, no, not yours, no. I'm oh, yeah, saying no, wrestling in general. Yes, yeah. Uh, but if mine has not come up, uh, it basically, I remember, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, somewhere around there, you know, and that was, that was, uh, for me, that was the early nineties. You know, I remember I had the, the blue ring and the action figures and all that. And I watched that, uh, that stuff, that era pretty regularly. And then there was a break early high school was the DX era. For me, anyways. Um, for many, many people, yes. And that, you know, that, again, that lasted about a year or two, and it faded away. And then it has not, I have not gotten the itch since then. So, many people I follow on Twitter. 
I know, we subject you to a lot of uh <laughs> lot I mean, of wrestling I'm aware talk. of the things that exist. And a couple of coworkers as well are, are into it, you know. I then I it sounds like the WWE network um you know, is pretty great. Uh a pretty great thing overall. But I know on Twitter it's you, DJ Shorts, um and and several others. There's a, there's a, a decent amount of intersectionality between uh, wrestling Twitter and Mets Twitter and baseball Twitter in general, really. Yeah. Our second and final email is from Liam. Hey guys, we are back to not so serious spring almost baseball. Hope springs eternal for all Mets fans around this time of year. Sadly, Lucas Duda hurt his oblique intercostal technically, and hopefully he doesn't pull a Jose Reyes and come back too early from it. Uh, he can't switch hit, so he can't just have him hit from one side, I think. So you're probably safe there. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's almost, it's almost like, you know, I think we had that email you know, last week or two weeks ago about comedy equaling uh, tragedy plus time. That Jose Reyes thing is almost funny now. <laughs> Actually, here's here's a thought. Would Lucas do to be a better hitter against left-handed pitching if he batted from the right side of the plate? I'm going to go with no. Uh. <laughs> Good thought. Like, you're thinking outside the box. Probably not. Now, I wanted to give you an interesting question. So, by okay. position, who do you think was the best backup of all time? Also, I do miss I hit part of spring training of the 2006-2008 Mets. Robinson can't sell the fastest fat man I've ever seen. Please tell me why we can't bring him back, if only to see him run again. Well, Terry Collins was complaining that no one can replace... <laughs> Eric Young Jr. speed on the team. So maybe we need to bring Robinson Cancel back to do just that. Um, Robinson Cancel is 39 years old. So there's, that might be a, a problem. Yeah. And he actually only, uh, let's see. Oh, and there go my dogs. It had been a quiet podcast up until now. They've been so good. He actually only played 45 major league games, 20 of eight, which, 28 of which were for the Mets. You know who I miss is uh, Raul Casanova. They've had a lot of like well-named backup catchers over the years. They really have. Casanova had a 708 OPS uh, in 2008. That wasn't as good as it sounds these days. Yeah, so his last season in baseball... Professional official baseball was 2013. We played in the Mexican League and the Puerto Rican Winter League. So I don't think that's going to work. Also, this email came in at 4.57 p.m., so I did not have time to actually prep a good answer. Now for the other part, the best backup of all time by position? Yeah, that's the part I didn't have time to prep. Yeah. So I, I, uh, and, you know, timing... These things happen. Um, but I fired up the play index just to try to see some guys who had strong seasons with very limited plate appearances. I feel like Ramon Castro is the cop-out answer here. Well, I was going to say Todd Pratt and Ramon Castro behind the plate. We're usually going to go with backup catchers just because they tend to get the most playing time, too. Yeah. Because it's more, you know, regimented. They're going to get a game or two a week every week. Yeah. So yeah, no, that those those were the two that I had kind of settled on. Uh, aside from 
that. I hadn't really had time to, to sift through things more. Are there any that come to mind off the top of your head? I'm terrible. Like when we have our mind bogglers on the site, the Sporkle quizzes, I love to make them because I'm terrible at playing them. Um, um, I mean, I guess Backman. See, I, I, see, I was gonna say I don't think you can count like like platoons. Like Backman, Tuffle are out. Right. Um, I mean, I guess. Let me see how many games. Yeah, I don't know if I can qualify. I can. Uh, qualify him as a backup. Let me see. Yeah. I guess Tsuyoshi Shinjo the second time around? Okay. Even though he had a 483 OPS. Like, his good season, he was basically a starter uh, in 2001. But Tsuyoshi Shinjo the second time around was terrible and only played 64 games, 62 games, 124 plate appearances. Hit 193, 238, 483. But was still Siyoshi Shinzo. Um, I guess Andy Chavez. Oh, you know? You know who? And again, uh, give an assist to the play index here, but Willie Mays. Okay, he, I can believe that. He was a backup in 72, really. I mean, he, he had far fewer uh, played appearances than, than the other three outfielders with significant playing time on that roster and he had a 145 OPS plus that year that, that's pretty good that's good a good mix of uh, that's quite the outfield right there Mays, Shinjo and uh, Andy Chavez I would watch that outfield I'd watch that outfield today <laughs> hey you know what uh, how has there not been outraged that the Mets are having an old timer wrestling day and not an old timer baseball day I think you just started. It's going to pop up on Mets Twitter tomorrow now. Good job. Yeah, thank you. I'm not outraged, but I'm I, I'm surprised there hasn't been any. I guess we were still caught up in the fan pack. Yeah, that's true. I actually I, there was like better questions I could have come up with, but I committed to the fan pack early. <laughs> I could have done something with the Oscars. I'll try again next week. Those are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. So a couple small items to dispose of before we wrap up episode 105. In my continuing media tour, I'm going to be on ESPN Radio Albany next week talking about the Mets. All right. So watch my Twitter space for more info on that. I don't know exactly when it will be yet. Um, and soon there will probably be even, even bigger news about my whirlwind media tour which is more of a gentle breeze but still I can't break the seal on that yet but you can stay tuned to this space and probably twitter and elsewhere for more news on that and as promised on twitter uh we're coming up on another med season and i've decided there may come a time when we need a distraction from Mets baseball so the podcast is adopting a soccer team for the 2015 season uh, and it's not the one you think. I'm not going to make you all follow Sheffield Wednesday for three reasons. One, this is my pain and cross to bear. Two, it's kind of narcissistic to make you all follow. I mean, I'm not going to be wrong. I'm still going to talk about them on the show. They will not be the official, official Amazing Avenue audio podcast. 
soccer team. Uh, and the third reason being, their season doesn't really conveniently overlap with the baseball season. You know, they, they wrap up in early May, they don't kick up again until August, so when the Mets are repeatedly annoying us in the summer months, not much to talk about. So there are a few U.S. options, certainly. Um, MLS kicks off soon. Something you can actually watch on TV? Um, I considered the Montreal Impact, which I have a funny story about. I, as you may know, I went to Montreal on my honeymoon, and in one of the greatest feats of my lifetime, convinced my wife that while we were on our honeymoon, we should go to a Montreal Impact soccer game. Because they were home that weekend. I forget who they were playing. So, ordered the tickets. Got them all set. All set to go. In my head, I had the wrong date. <laughs> so we showed up at the stadium, which is right by the uh, uh, the Stade Olympique. And there was nobody there. And I realized pretty quickly, oh, something's wrong here. Sure enough, the game had been the day before. Nice. Yeah, it did not go over well. <laughs> Still married somehow. But I wasn't really, I wasn't feeling the Montreal impact. I considered the Indy 11, who I talked about a bit on the show uh, last fall. They have one of my favorite Sheffield Wednesday players, uh, Jermaine Johnson, on the team. They have a really nice red and navy alternate jersey this year, red and navy stripes that I'm probably going to end up buying with Jay Johnson 14 on the back. But, again, not it's Nassau. It's second division soccer. I really can't do that to you. Um, so, without further ado, I will announce. this: The team I chose, season overlaps with baseball season, actually starts in April. So it's perfect. They actually have their cup going on right now if you want to get into it. And because we are big in Sweden, I've got to consider our Swedish listeners. So our team... The official Amazing Avenue Audio soccer team, IFK Gothenburg. All right. So I will be giving, if you want to tune in, I think the, the time change, the time difference is even worse because it's Sweden. I think they're like six or seven hours behind, so I don't know what time those kickoffs are. But I will keep you and our Swedish listeners well informed on the, the trials and tribulations of IFK Gothenburg. They're good. They finished second last year in the... Uh, Butcher this. I think it's pronounced Osvenskan, which is the uh, Swedish league. And they're in the Swedish Cup right now. And it also scratches my edge because one of their most famous players, Roland Nielsen, who actually won the uh, UEFA Cup with them, I think in the mid-80s, was a very popular Sheffield Wednesday player. And they have blue and white stripes. So IFK Gothenburg it is. And now we can wrap things up on episode 105 of Mason Avenue Audio. Before we do, Chris, do you have anything outside of your starters as reliever piece in the pipeline to plug? Hmm. Mainly just the spring training stuff. Keep an eye out for that. Um, we have never-ending season previews on the site. Yes. We do. There's plenty more of those uh, to come, and I think they're all uh, they're all they're all worth reading. And there was someone who complained about uh, the Tejada one. That oh, enough with this already. It, but it's part of the series. Yeah, we got to go on. 
Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, nothing else too crazy uh, in, in the pipeline. I've said crazy a lot on this podcast. I apologize for that. But yeah, just keep an eye out. I, I get down to spring training on the 6th. Uh, so the photos will start coming in that day and hopefully I'll be able to write some things sooner rather than later down there. Um, you know, every year we kind of weigh our options in terms of recapping spring games. We, we've gone with a very condensed form over the last few years, but you know, if there's, there are things that I see, I will try to relay them. Uh, maybe in a little more detail and it, it might not be a, you know, a game recap so much as just notes. Um, and they, they won't be up to the standard that you provide with yours, but you know, whatever I can do. I, I rarely actually recap the game. I can't even tell you the score most of the time. So you'll be ahead of me in that regard. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that and keep an eye out here next week for another edition of Amazing. Avenue Audio.